the, the message today, the title of the message today is Our Anchor. As I start a new series entitled, We Hope in the Lord. Truths for a Troubled World. This is part one, and we will be in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, I hope that you will turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is in the back of the New Testament. We're in Hebrews chapter 6. I'll start reading in verse 13. I'll read into chapter 7, verse 3. My sources include William Barclay's The Daily Study Bible series, Raymond Brown, his book, The Message of Hebrews, Lawrence Richards, The Teacher's Commentary, Clarence Roddy, The Epistle to the Hebrews, and Edgar Andrews' book from the Wellwind series, A Glorious High Throne. So, again, the title of the message is Our Anchor. This is Hebrews chapter 6. I'll start reading at verse 13. This is the Word of God. When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then chapter 7, verse 1, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means King of peace, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or days or end, beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this, your word. I thank you, Lord, that you... You are in total control of what's going on in our world. And you are the priest that we come to forever. You are the anchor of our souls. You are the solid rock on which our faith stands. And so I pray today that you would touch our hearts and that you would speak to us through this passage of Scripture. Open our hearts, Lord, and draw us near to you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Faith, hope, and love are the big three. The three that in the Apostle Paul's mind remain. You've heard about faith, hope, and love as a triad. And if you think about it, life's not really possible without them. 
One writer suggests that faith and hope are like twin sisters and that love is their mother. He said that, and then he says one other thing. He says the twins cannot be separated. Faith, hope, they have to be together. And why can't they be separated? It's your first point in the outline. Because faith cannot exist without hope. Our hope as a church, our hope as a community, our hope as a world has been challenged as of late, threatened as of late. And not just our church, but our community. I had someone say to me this week, I'm so glad that we're moving through this year, and I'm so hopeful this year will hurry up and get over with. I mean, how many of us thought about 2020 when we were young? wonder what 2020 is going to be like. I, I don't think any of us had any, any inclination how, how challenging, how threatening to our lives and our livelihoods, our health, that this year would bring. And after losing a dear friend to suicide last week, our church, our church is reeling from that. We're trying to process it and trying to put it together in our minds how in the world this could happen. It's, it crushes your spirit when you suffer a loss like that. And, and others of you listening to me have suffered terrible losses apart from the one I just mentioned. And you, when, when that happens, you're left with questions. And what I want each of you to know today is that even pastors have questions. Even pastors have anxiety and depression. I've had two anxiety attacks this week in which my heart is racing. And if you know anything about me, I have a very slow heart rate. People, when they take my, my blood pressure, a lot of nurses will wonder if I'm, I'm really alive because I usually have that slow heartbeat. But... Not this week. I've cried just about every day. I cried this morning on the way to church. I mean, there's nothing wrong with crying. There's nothing wrong with with expressing grief. In fact, it's very, very healthy and very therapeutic. I'm worried about many of you that are struggling alone because we were never meant to be alone. That's why Jesus instituted the church as the body of Christ, as many members. And and yet this whole thing of sheltering in place has led to a lot of people barricading themselves at home. And so I hope that I hope that we're near the end of that. And I hope that you will press through that by the grace of God. And I hope that you will cling to your anchor as never before. I mean, when everything else that we depend on is taken away from us, and you certainly know what I'm talking about, you are forced to examine your life. And so let me ask you, what is the foundation of your life? Where does your hope lie? For example, I'm a theological conservative. You know, there's a lot of different churches, right? There's a reason there's a lot of different churches. 
Some have said it's, it's wrong. We shouldn't have denominations. I don't know how, to, how else it could work this side of heaven. And one day, yes, we will be in one church, the true church of Jesus Christ. But many in this modern age are not theological conservatives. And to me, that's, that's a real problem. So what do I mean by that? Well, I believe in the authority of Scripture. I believe in the authority of this book, the Bible. I believe it is the Word of God without error and also infallible in all of its truths. And so I believe this book. I believe the Bible. I believe it is God's Word to us. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and died a death that he didn't deserve to die, but chose to die on our behalf to be the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I believe in his horrific death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead. And because of that, I believe in my resurrection from the dead. I believe that one day when I die... My spirit will go immediately into the presence of God. And then when Jesus returns on that last day, my body and all the bodies of believers will come out of the grave and be resurrected to a new body, a glorified body. All of this is vital to my hope. And since I am born in sin and my whole nature, I believe, according to Scripture, is corrupted and depraved. I need a source outside of myself if I'm ever going to have hope in this world. If I'm ever going to have life eternal, I need a hope outside myself. I need a savior outside of myself. And I say to you today that my hope is solely in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, my Lord, is my hope. Yet theological liberals try to reconcile Christianity with modern thinking. They have an optimistic view of the future of mankind. They don't believe in scriptural authority, and basically what they do is take this scripture or that scripture and push aside scriptures that don't fit with their narrative. Biblical hope is an optimism that is based on certainty and based on truth. Not on a cheery optimism or a cheery disposition that simply chooses to look on the bright side when things are terrible. So the title of this message today is Our Anchor. And it's from my text. It's the only time used in this book of the Bible, the word anchor. So let's ask ourselves the question, why does a ship need an anchor? Well, to ride out the storm so that it's not blown off course or thrown into the rocks. Even in a safe harbor, a ship needs an anchor so that it won't drift or hit something or eventually sink. The anchor goes down into the ocean, but this anchor that we're talking about in Christ, it goes up into the heavens beyond the veil. Behind the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, the writer of Hebrews says. So so here's my premise of this message so that you can follow along with me. We have, as believers, a certain hope of our future salvation, which serves as an anchor to steady our souls 
while we wait upon our God and hope in our God in these perilous times. It's at this point that I believe a little background would be helpful. And if you're following in the outline, just kind of pause from the outline and and stay with me. In the Old Testament, in, in other words, you have to understand the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. And you cannot understand the book of Hebrews without understanding the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the temple had certain specific restrictions as to who was granted access. The temple's most sacred place of all was called the Holy of Holies. The entrance into the Holy of Holies was was blocked with a veil or what our text calls the curtain. Within the Holy of Holies was the, the very presence of God. And into that holy place, only one man in all the world could enter. And even then, he could only enter once a year. That man was the high priest. And that day of the year was called Yom Kippur or Day of Atonement. It was a dangerous thing to enter into the presence of God, so dangerous that what they would do is tie a rope around the priest's waist, and on his waist were bells. And if the bells stopped ringing for a very long time, then the people would know that there was a good chance that the priest had died in the very presence of God. And so they would then pull him out with the rope. That's why the writer of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So at any rate, you might ask, why was there a need for a high priest? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament to make sure you understand the context of our passage of Scripture here in Hebrews. Our text speaks of Abram before he was actually called Abraham and how his nephew Lot and all of Sodom had been defeated in battle by Keter Laomar and his allies. So Genesis chapter 14 verses 11 and 12 says this. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food and then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Well, when, when Abram hears about all this, he called together his 318 trained men born in his household who then took Keter Leomar by surprise, attacking them at night, and he killed them all, killed all, the, all their enemies, and then he rescued Lot and all of Sodom's possessions. And so as Abram was approached by the king of Sodom, most likely to thank him for saving his city, the king of Sodom was interrupted by another king, the king of Salem, who was also a priest by the name of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek proceeded to bless Abram and remind him that the victory he had just won was his only because it was given to him by God. And so here we are today in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, thousands of years removed from that eventful day. And yet here is the writer to the Hebrews saying that Jesus has, quote, become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's Hebrews 6, verse 20. So, yes, the same Melchizedek who blessed Abraham. Melchizedek's priesthood was based on permanence. In other words, those who were priests in the Old Testament, they died. And they had to be replaced. 
In fact, at age 50, you were done as a priest, which would mean that many years ago I would have been finished. But seriously, the point is there was no sense of permanence under the priesthood of Aaron, but the priesthood of Melchizedek, and more importantly, the priesthood of Jesus was forever. So with that as a backdrop, let me ask you this. What is religion? What, what is religion about? Religion is about man's search for God. Specifically, man's search for access to God. Access to his presence. So what is it that keeps a person from having access to God? And in your outline, I give two things. First of all, there is fear. There is fear. As long as you and I are afraid of God, as long as you and I are, are, are scared to death of God, then we'll never be comfortable in the presence of God. The Bible says there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. But because fear has to do with punishment. The man who fears, the scripture says, is not made perfect in love. So fear keeps people from the presence of God and from having access to God. And then the second thing is there is sin. Sin is anything that you do that does not please God. Sin is anything that you think that does not please God. Sin is anything that you say that does not please God. Sin is anything that you were supposed to do and you didn't do. So you can sin in so many ways, in thought, word, and deed, and in omission, in omitting from what you should do. Because we have in Jesus Christ a high priest, a great high priest, who has gone to the cross on our behalf, who has conquered death in the grave and passed through the heavens. Don't miss this. Fear is gone. Fear is gone. Sin is conquered. As a result, access to God was made possible in the Old Testament because of two things. First, the law. The law. The concept of the law of God was that as long as man faithfully keep, would keep the commandments of the law, they would be in a position to be given access to God. The only problem with this concept is that man could not keep his law. And because God is holy, he could not even be in the presence of sin. So man's access to God's presence was interrupted. And in order to deal with this problem, the second thing existed, which was the priesthood. That's why we're reading this text in Hebrews 6 and 7. Not just the priesthood, but really the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament. God created this system to help bridge the gap between God and man. As a matter of fact, the Latin word for priest is a word that means bridge builder. Bridge builder. It's the word pontifex. And so then the priest was a man whose purpose was to build a bridge between God and man by means of the sacrificial system. I hope you're with me so far, okay? Are, are you with me? Think about this. Now stay with me. In other words, if a person broke the law, his fellowship with God was interrupted. And the only way to restore that fellowship with God was by the priest offering the correct sacrifice to atone for the sin, thus restoring fellowship between God and man. Now, that would have been fine if it had been able to move out of the realm of theory and into the realm of reality. But it couldn't. It couldn't do it. 
So look again in our text, and we're going to go just a little bit beyond our text in Hebrews 7, verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron? And so... The answer is the priesthood and the sacrificial system could never accomplish our greatest need. And need is your blank. And then there's a long blank after that. And what is our greatest need? Restoration of our lost relationship to God. And that's what the people needed. And the priesthood of Aaron was not good enough. And Jesus' priesthood, Jesus' is better and that's the whole point of the, of the book of Hebrews. That's the whole point he's trying to get across is Jesus is better. He's the better way. I said earlier that faith cannot exist without hope. And friends, the nature of our faith can be determined by the nature of our hope. And the kind of hope that God wants us to have, you and me, even during a pandemic like this, the kind of hope he wants us to have is the full assurance of hope. And I ask you, do you have that? Do you have that full assurance of hope in the midst of this pandemic that's gripping people with fear and anxiety? Do you have that full assurance of hope? And apparently, it's what the people in Scripture did not have. The people in the Old Testament did not have that. So in in the time remaining this morning, I want us to look at three reasons why you can And should have the full assurance of hope. And the first is this. Because of God's promise. Because of God's promise. You see, God wants you to have a vital, dynamic faith. It's what He wants for you. He wants you to have a vital, dynamic faith. Really, a faith like Abraham's. (laughs) And you know, Abraham's the father of our faith. From Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. There's so many great things about Abraham and the promises of God to him. If you remember, God called Abraham out of Ur the Chaldees. And God promised him a personal blessing, a national blessing, and an international blessing. Aren't we grateful for that? Aren't we grateful for that international blessing? I I certainly am. Because I didn't grow up anywhere near Abraham, and yet the blessing and the promise to Abraham applies to me and to you. All three were wrapped up in a son who was to be born. And if you remember, Abraham hoped against hope for 25 years until it was physically impossible for him and his wife to have any children. And yet that's when the impossible happened and Sarah gave birth to a son In her old age. Hope that is built on the promises of God. The promise that we have in Christ. Is a reliable anchor for our soul. Our anchor is our hope. In the unchangeable promises of God. But right now how many of you. Have been questioning those promises. Am I truly saved? I mean that's that's one question people have right now. Am I I truly saved? Is heaven really real? 
Can I, can I depend on God to, to come through for me and for my family right now? Is it really true that in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love Him? God's promises are true. God's promises are true. God doesn't always answer your prayers the way you want them to be answered. But He always answers. Sometimes He says yes. Sometimes He says no. Sometimes He says wait. And right now we're, we're all waiting. We're all waiting in different ways for different reasons. But we're waiting. But do not doubt the trustworthiness of our God, because God's promises are true. And there's also a second reason why you can and should have the full assurance of hope, and that's because of God's nature, because of who God is. Look at verse 17 of our text. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. An oath. You see, the nature of God is that He cannot lie. He cannot lie. And there's a new word to add to what we've already discussed. We talked about faith, hope, love, promises, oath. Oath. You know, you've heard since you were young, I'm sure, you're not supposed to swear. Well, an oath was an extremely solemn decision for the Jews. It was, as, as someone put it, the Supreme Court of Appeal. When a person took an oath, it ended all discussion. It's one thing for you and I to take this approach, but for God to take this approach? I mean, what was the reason for God to feel like he needed to make an oath? Well, the reason was that God wanted to confirm his promise that through Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. And so he did so as a concession to our weakness. So that we might believe him. But you know, for God to do this, it's almost demeaning the one who cannot lie. Scripture says in verse 18, look at verse 18. It is impossible for God to lie. It's almost demeaning for for God, the one who cannot lie, to take an oath. Doesn't seem right, but God wanted to make sure that we understood his absolute commitment to keep his promises. And the third reason is the source behind that blessing. Because of God's purpose. So because of God's promise, because of God's nature, because of God's purpose. Listen to what it says again. God did this so that God did this so that we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And he says this in verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. And what was that purpose of God? To give us hope. To give us hope in a time when hope seems to be, hope seems to be lost. Have you lost your hope during this pandemic? I'm sure, like, like me, you've, you've had your hope challenged. You've had your hope threatened. God has not abandoned his people. God is still on the throne. Jesus is our intercessor. He is making 
intercession, pleading on our behalf, praying for you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Think about what Jesus has done for us. Think about the real hope. You know, when Bo was leading us through our confession of sin, he used as the assurance verse Romans 5, 1 and 2. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. There's that word, access. You see, if you're a Christian, if Christ is in your life, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have access to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. You have gained access by faith into this grace, it says, in which we now stand. And I want us to keep reading. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Let's keep reading beyond that. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the hope that God gives to us in the person of Jesus Christ, it provides with us, it provides for us an anchor for our soul. And as we said earlier, an anchor is something that keeps you from drifting. And some of you have been drifting. And it's time to grab hold of that anchor, the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. In ancient times, the word anchor was the symbol of hope. You may not have known that. The anchor was the symbol of hope in ancient times. And in our text, the writer to the Hebrews is convinced that the Christian and only the Christian possesses the greatest hope in the entire world. I've been to Niagara Falls before. The mighty Niagara River plummets some 180 feet at the American and Horseshoe Falls. And before the falls, there are these violent and turbulent rapids. Farther upstream, however, where the, the river's currents flow more gently, you, you have a, the ability for boats to navigate there. And just before the Welland River empties into the Niagara, there's a, a pedestrian walkway that spans the river. And posted on the bridge's pylons is a warning sign for all the boaters. And here's what it says. Do you have an anchor? And it's followed by this question. Do you know how to use it? If you're in Christ, you have an anchor. Do you know how to use it? You know, I know that God is allowing this pandemic for many reasons, only known in the mind of God. But I think one of the reasons is to challenge us in our faith. To test us in our faith. Scripture says, are you in Christ? Test yourselves. Prove yourselves how that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test. Faith and hope, like an anchor, is something you need to have. But if you don't know how to use it, you're going to be subject to spiritual disaster. 
And I think that's my, my fear and concern as, a, as the pastor of this church is that some of you, as you shelter in place, your anchor is not holding you because you've lost sight of how to use faith and hope and love in these days of pandemic. And I think it's really difficult for us to shelter in place because we're so alone so much. And we were never meant to be alone. When people are alone in their thoughts, they tend to think things that scare them and lead them to panic and lead them to more anxiety and lead them to more depression. And they're not verbalizing this, these thoughts to anyone. We were never meant to keep our thoughts to ourselves. We were meant to share in the community of faith our struggles, our anxieties, our fears. And I can quote all the scripture in the world to you, but if you don't embrace it by the grace of God, it means nothing. And so I'm challenging you to open your life to someone in our church family we started a, a shepherding ministry a little over a year ago, and, and that shepherding ministry has really been a help and a boost to a lot of people in their faith and their walk. And so I'm asking you, reach out to your shepherd and ask for prayer. I'm asking some of you to come and meet with Lindsay and myself tomorrow. Up to eight people, you can contact Lindsay and get an appointment. Some of you have not left your home yet, and that is not healthy. And so you can come with your gloves, you can come with your mask, we will distance ourselves so that you're safe. I don't want you to stay home alone if you're able to get out of that home and come and meet with us. We're going to do all that we can to keep you safe. But if we don't share our hearts, if we don't pray together and, and spend this community of faith time together, then we're going to shipwreck. And I don't want to see you do that. I want to see you continue to grow in the grace of God and to grow in your faith and to, to not only grab hold of that anchor, but, but hang on to that anchor in Christ. Our verse of the week is 1 Timothy 1, verse 1, and I hope you'll read it with me in your bulletin. 1 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for your loving kindness to us, for the grace and the mercy that you've shown to us. We thank you, Father, that in the midst of this pandemic, as we've been challenged in so many ways and given new ways to live, our, our whole reason for living has been put on hold, it seems. And so I pray that, that you, by your mercy, will reach into our hearts and enable us, Lord, to share our struggles with, with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We were never meant to live alone. And lots of us are struggling because of not being able to, to have fellowship with one another in the church, in the body of Christ. So, Father, I pray for your church, for your people, wherever they are, that you would help them, Lord, as, as so many have problems and issues that they need prayer for and they need someone to share it with. And I just pray that, that people will open up their lives and, and take the risk of faith to step out in faith and share their hurts 
and ask for prayer and ask for someone to, to come alongside of them and stand with them in prayer. And Lord, there's so many in our church family that are hurting right now. And I pray for your comforting presence. I pray for the peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, I pray that all this will do is drive us to you. And to your throne of grace and mercy where you've told us to come boldly that we might find grace in our time of need. And so, Lord, as needy believers, we come before you asking that you help us, that you sustain us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In closing, we will sing my mother's favorite hymn, Abide.